My welcome to the NBA celebrity game moment was during the New Orleans game playing against Candace Parker. I was like getting ready to shoot. She's like, you better not shoot it. You better not like, don't even think about it. And I said, oh yeah, don't worry. I'm not. And like immediately pass the ball. What's up, you guys? I'm Rachel Amita, and welcome to the Courtside Club, where we give you a courtside view of everything that's going on in the world of sports and entertainment. Before we jump into today's episode, I just want to preface this by saying that I am on day 10 of some sort of sickness that I don't know if I got it in Dubai. I don't know if I got it on the flight back from Dubai, but I'm not at my fullest energy right now, but I want to get this episode filmed for you guys. So bear with me if it's maybe not the most cohesive or I look like I'm just really tired because I am actually really tired. Um, with that being said, I watched the Super Bowl this weekend, but I didn't really do anything that fun. I was laying on the couch the entire time, but I did watch the entire game. It has been the talk of the weekend, the talk of yesterday. I know that I am a day late to getting to kind of my reaction to it, but I did want to talk about a couple things that stood out to me during Super Bowl. Um, one of those being, or I feel like one of the biggest headlines was the halftime performance, which is something that we all always talk about. I was super excited that Usher was performing. The headline that everybody is talking about is Usher and Alicia Keys interaction with one another during that performance. So obviously he brought out Alicia Keys for the, the song, My Boo, which I think also came out when I was in high school or maybe college, such a throwback. Um, and it was a fantastic performance, but Usher is known for being somebody who is very like flirty and kind of handsy. And we've seen with his performances in Vegas and obviously the infamous, you know, Kiki Palmer kind of serenade that sent her baby daddy into like a spiral on Twitter. Um, he, he is one who is like one with the ladies. Like he likes to kind of serenade them and be flirty and whatever. And people were in an uproar about how he was acting toward Alicia Keys, who's obviously married. She's married to Swiss Beats. Um, they've been married for a long time. And it was this whole kind of thing. Like Usher's so disrespectful. He's, you know, why is he acting like this toward a married woman? And then there was a lot of backlash even coming toward Alicia Keys being like, how could she, you know, allow this. Oh, Swiss Beats is at home, like about to beat up, you know, get, about to like call off their marriage be, because of this Usher kind of interaction. So Swiss Beats came to Instagram and posted photos of his wife, first of all, performing at the piano and then a photo of her and Usher. There was also this like hug at the end of the performance where Usher came up behind her and like wrapped his arms around her. And everybody was like, wow, that was so disrespectful. Look at her smile. Like she was into it. There's something going on with those two, which is to me just ridiculous. But 
Swizzbees came on Instagram to kind of shut down all of these rumors. And he said, y'all are talking about the wrong damn thing. Y'all don't see that amazing dress covering the entire stadium. Tonight's performance was nothing but amazing with two amazing giants. Congrats to Usher and my love, Alicia Keys. That song is a classic. We don't do negative vibes on this side. We make history. And I kind of loved that he came out with this. This is such a stark contrast to when Kiki Palmer's baby daddy came out and when Kiki and Usher had that interaction and he came out basically saying like, what kind of mother are you to be dressing like that and acting like that at an Usher concert? Um, both of them come out. And this to me was just an example of him just being so secure and what they have. And there's so many, there's so many people online who immediately jumped to try to see something negative in what was happening at this halftime performance. And to me, it just looked like two performers who knew what they were doing. The song is obviously very much like a romantic and loving song. And that's Usher's kind of shtick. He kind of plays that up. Going to the comments, there's so many people kind of praising him. And then there are people also who are giving him more hell and said, you posted a pic with another man holding your girl imagine with a bunch of question marks. Someone commented, it's all in performing with a rolling eyes emoji. And then someone post, someone commented, they're trying to make us men think that this is okay, but it's not and will never be. Only if you're weak, it's okay. I can't even respect a man whose wife would be in this position live on TV. There's another comment, your wife don't respect you, gang. I just think it's crazy that we've gotten to this point, I feel like in society where, uh, We've gotten so divided on literally everything in life and this being one of them. Like I, I keep going back to the Kiki Palmer example because that is just, you know, it has to do with Usher as well. People were so divided when that came up because she was wearing like a form-fitting dress that had some places that were see-through at this concert. And so many people were saying like, she looks great. Like she just had a kid, you know, she's having a good time. Like nothing was out of line. And then there's other people just saying how disrespectful she was and was hyping up her baby daddy for publicly coming online and trashing her publicly. Now people are going to Swissbees, who's also very, by the way, very respectful in his own right. This is a power couple in itself and coming to his page and just trashing him for him publicly supporting his wife. So what is it? Like, do we not want men to support their wives? She's a performer. He's a performer. He gets it there in the industry. She went home and went back to her husband. And guess what? After Usher's performance, Usher actually got married to his longtime partner. So both of these people are in steady, healthy relationships. And if their partner doesn't have an issue with it, then all these people online also shouldn't. Coming to another headline from Super Bowl that I wanted to talk about, where people are also very, very, very divided on the subject, was Travis Kelsey during the first half. Um, going off on his head coach, Andy Reid, and kind of bumping into him. This clip had so many, like millions and millions of views um, on Twitter during the game. And it was a super heated moment. It was right after their team had fumbled and lost the ball. And I will say like in the first half of the Super Bowl, it did seem like the 49ers had the momentum and had the the gas behind them. And they seemed more confident. Patrick Mahomes was making a a lot of mistakes that he normally doesn't. Um, they just seem 
seemed they didn't seem as cohesive. And in this moment, Travis Kelsey kind of runs up to his coach, bumps him. Coach wasn't really paying attention and screams in his face. The comments and the commentary that we were seeing online was so much of, oh, he has anger issues. If this was any other player, they would have been benched and fined. Um, there was uh, other NFL players coming out and saying things about it. AJ Brown said, if that was me, I would have been kicked out of the league. And then Tyreek Hill said, but we know why though, right? With like a little emoji with the hands over the eyes. So there was a lot of commentary around this. There was also a lot of Swifties chiming in. Like if he's this aggressive and he has this many anger problems on the field, you can only imagine what he's doing to Taylor Swift at home. I think on that aspect of it, a lot of these new NFL fans and a lot of Swifties, and this is like their first time ever seeing a Super Bowl in their entire life, they just might not understand what it's like to kind of be in that situation on the absolute biggest stage in the NFL with everything that you've worked your entire life for on the line. To me, I didn't think it was that crazy of a scenario. Like, yeah, I'm sure Travis, or hopefully he talked to his coach after and said, Hey, like I was a little out of line. Sorry. Heat of the moment. I just wanted to be in the game during that play, or I'm so passionate about this win. Like I, I felt like that's what that's where it was coming from. There's so many guys and him being a leader on the team. I feel like that was the moment for him and people react to situations in a different way. He's been with Andy Reid for a long time as well. We don't know their full dynamic. There could have been times that this happened in the locker room or coaches getting in, in his face as well. I think there's always a level of respect that you need to have for your head coach, but a lot of us who have never played in the NFL, who have never been on a, a stage like that, can't really relate to what it is like to be in that situation. But I do know from being an athlete myself, there are times when your temper or your emotion or your passion just runs so high during games and you might do things, say things, or act in, in ways that you wouldn't normally in any other situation. And so to me, at least from that perspective or from a how he treats Taylor perspective, I don't I don't know him personally, but I can't imagine that that energy bleeds into a regular situation on a regular Tuesday in your household. However, from other NFL players' perspective, I also don't know and I don't want to comment on that because I I I don't know what would happen if Tyreek talked to his coach in the same manner that Travis spoke to his head coach. I don't know if the the consequences for him would be worse. I don't know that situation. So I'm also like not going to comment on that. I think it is based on different situations and how the players and coaches have these relationships with their head coach. And that is something that I've never been in one of those locker rooms. I've never played in the NFL and I can't comment on that as well. But the divisiveness from that, I also thought was something that was just, just so striking. There are some people saying it's heat at the moment. Some people saying like, wow, he's an awful person. He's really showing his true colors because he had this moment during the Super Bowl. I don't, I think it's kind of somewhere in the middle. I don't think he's a terrible person for that. Um, however, we don't know what it's like to be in that situation in the Super Bowl. All right, you guys, it is All-Star Week, and I will be heading to Indianapolis this weekend for my eighth All-Star. It's actually crazy. This will be my 
eighth all-star in 10 years. The only two all-stars I missed were Charlotte and the COVID year all-star. That was like kind of at a weird time, I believe, in Atlanta. Those are the two I missed. Every other all-star, I have been there and I have worked there. And so this will be my eighth time. So for this video, I wanted to kind of give you guys a little insight into what being at All-Star, what being at All-Star Weekend is truly like. And I've had a lot of experience there. I've played in the celebrity All-Star games there twice. Um, so I just want to give you guys a little bit of insight into All-Star Weekend. So we can start with my experiences in the celebrity All-Star games. Like I said, I played in it twice. I played in New Orleans and I also played in Los Angeles. And I would love to consider myself retired now from playing in NBA All-Star Games. People were tagging me on the celebrity list that, that came out this year. I'm retired. I can't see myself playing in any more celebrity All-Star Games. I had a fantastic time when I did play in them, but you guys can have it. What I will say is my my first year playing in the NBA All-Star Game in New Orleans, I had a good game, but I didn't play that much. And I think the reason I didn't play that much is because my coach, who was Jamel Hill, actually, um, it was funny because I didn't start, I, I went in kind of later on and I, I went in and like one of the first plays that I had, I got fouled. So I had two free throw attempts and I made both of them. And then I remember at halftime, she talked to me, she's like, oh, you can shoot a little bit, can't you? And I was like, dang it. So she didn't know that I played basketball at all. I don't think she knew who I was. Um, and then she played me a bit more in the second half and I played a little bit better. And I, I honestly, like I had a blast in that New Orleans celebrity game. My dad's favorite photo of me, I think in life in general, is I'm making a layup on Mark Cuban, like he's guarding me and I'm like making a layup on him. And it's kind of like a, a sweet photo, but, um, that is one that my dad has in his office because he just thought that that was really cool that I played basketball with Mark Cuban and essentially scored on him. So fast forward to the following year in Los Angeles, I felt a lot more like prepared and excited for that game since I had already played in it once. And the Celebrity All-Star Game is broadcast live on ESPN. And it's, I feel like it's not the, it's definitely not the biggest part of All-Star Weekend. And I do feel like since Kevin Hart stopped playing in the game, it's fell off. Like I remember when I was younger, it was just such a thing seeing Kevin Hart in the Celebrity Game and like seeing what he was going to do and how he was going to play and just the character that he is. And he he was like the, the core of the Celebrity Game. It really depends on what city the Celebrity Game is in. So when I played in the celebrity game in Los Angeles, it's so much easier to be able to get bigger celebrities into that game because you're in Los Angeles. You're not going to call up a massive A-list celebrity and be like, hey, will you fly to Indianapolis and play in the celebrity game this weekend? Unless they're like a huge hoop hoops head, there's less of an appeal to come to a like smaller city to play in the celebrity game there. So when I played in the celebrity game in Los Angeles, it was definitely a star studded event. Um, Justin Bieber played in it. Jamie Foxx played in it. Michael B. Jordan was my coach, but then he ended up like suiting up at halftime because he wanted to play. So like he jumped in the game. Candace Parker, Paul Pierce. There were so many, there were so many A-list 
former NBA players, NFL players, actors, um, Olympians, all, all of the things in this game. So I was definitely more prepared going into it. And I also knew that for this game, I wanted to customize my jersey. Like I, I wanted it I wanted to feel really good playing in it. So I reached out to the NBA before the game and I asked them if I could um, customize my shorts particularly because I've never been one that liked basketball shorts. And for my day and age, you always wore the shorts that were like down to your knees. And that was just like the standard uniform that you were given. I see now in the women's game, a lot of the girls are like getting shorter shorts, even in the NBA, they're getting shorter shorts, but they get shorter shorts or they kind of roll them underneath their tights or kind of roll them up. When I played, we, I wasn't even allowed to I could roll my shorts once. And if I rolled them anymore, my coach would yell at me and tell me to pull them down. That happened in college many of times. So I reached out to the NBA and I gave them the exact like measurements for the shorts that I wanted. And they, they sewed and customized those shorts for me. So I got shorter basketball shorts because that's, I actually sent in the exact measurements that I wanted for the length and the size of them. That was super cool of them to do. I felt like a lot more comfortable playing in those than in big baggy basketball shorts. Another thing I did is I customized my shoes that I wore. So I worked with Adidas and they surprised me with these really cool like Cheshire Cat basketball sneakers. And they were my favorite Adidas sneaker. They were like the the Dame something. I don't know. I, I do prefer Adidas basketball shoes. Um, or I, I did back in the day, I liked the crazy lights or Damian Lillard's signature shoe. And so they customized them. They were like pink and purple, pink and purple Cheshire cat sneakers. And they had Daisy on the back. Um, so that was like step one for me. I just wanted to feel really good in the game. And then going into that game also Rachel Nichols and Michael B. Jordan were coaching and, um, Michael B. Jordan actually knew that, he knew about me and knew that I could play basketball. So I talked to him before and I'm like, can I start? He's like, yeah, of course you're starting. I was like, thank you. And that's like, just, I guess my like athletes, uh, my athlete self at my core is like, I just felt, I would feel so much better if I was starting. I never really came off the bench at any point in my career, um, besides in college. And so I was like, so grateful that they let me start and had a really good game. Um, that was a time too, where I feel like social media wasn't as saturated. And so at the time, like I was trending on Twitter cause I had like a couple of viral moments and then the, there were clips that were circling on Instagram and on YouTube. And that was just like such a fun and exciting night for me played really well. My team lost unfortunately, but like that was to this day, probably one of the coolest all-star experiences that I had. And then even after that, for the rest of the weekend, there was just so much like LA all-star was the best all-star that I've ever been to one. It's warm. So when you're going around to all these different things, like you're not freezing. Cause I've been to New York, Toronto, Indianapolis, Chicago, all these places are so cold in February. Another thing with all-star too, is like the bigger the city, the more brands get involved as well. So I've noticed that also just working with all these different brands. Like there's more things to do when All-Star is in a bigger city. So there's obviously like just ebbs and flows when you go to different cities. I will say that from being at All-Star, now going into my eighth year in a row, I now normally leave NBA All-Star weekend on Sunday morning <laughs> because I think we all can come to agreement at this point that Saturday night is the best night at NBA All-Star Weekend. The game 
is now very much a secondary kind of afterthought thing to the Saturday night festivities and even sometimes the rising stars and the um, celebrity game on Friday. During the rising stars, you're going to see the young players and depending on who's in it, obviously like we'll have Wemby and Chet in it this year. So that will be something exciting, like seeing those younger guys play the celebrity game. Like I said, depending on who's in it, it just kind of, you know, goes up and down by how, how well the game goes. And then Saturday night is what everyone's excited for. And this year we have something new and exciting. Obviously I talked about it in another video with Steph Curry going up against Sabrina Ionescu from the WNBA. So that is going to be something really, really, really exciting that they add to Saturday night. The game on Sunday, I would so much rather just fly home on Sunday, watch it from home, then trying to get out of the airport on Monday morning after everybody else is trying to leave the city. So that is something I feel like for the past like four or five years, I've just been leaving on Sunday. There's normally no work on Sunday. I can go home. I can watch the game from home. The competition over the past few years hasn't been that great. Like I'm just going to be honest and, and saying that in the all-star game. They're changing it again this year back to East versus West. There's no captain's choice. So we'll see how that goes, but there is a problem. And I think that Adam Silver recognizes this. There is a problem with how competitive the all-star game is. We'll see this year if it will be competitive, but I, I just don't expect guys to really put their body on the line for an all-star game where there's not that many incentives and you still have a whole second half of the season that you want to stay healthy and you want to provide for your team and you want to get into playoffs and you want to get through playoffs. You want to make it to the finals. A lot of these stars don't see why it should be so important to, you know, put it on the line and risk injury for that matter. I don't know the solution to it. I, I really don't. Um, because while these all-stars are playing during NBA all-star weekend, you also have the rest of the league who gets a vacation. You know, they get nearly a week off to kind of rest their body and regroup and get ready for the season. All these guys, in a way, it's like, yes, it's a great opportunity for them. It's so great for the fans. Everybody wants to see all their favorite players on the court at the same time. Um, however, I do get both sides because they're not getting the rest that a lot of these other guys are getting. And some of these guys who are in the all-star game as well are older and are battling injuries. And if you guys are feeling unwell, like I am, and you need a little pick me up, then step into a world of natural wellness and Caribbean flavors with Mobby Artisanal Tea, the embodiment of plant power and hydration. Take a sip, join the movement, and embrace a healthier you. Visit MobbyTea.com or your local Sprouts Farmer's Market now to experience the taste of the Caribbean and every revitalizing blend. Who's the best celebrity that you've played with in one of those games? My welcome to the NBA celebrity game moment was during the New Orleans game when I was playing against Candace Parker. So she is somebody who I looked up to when I was a kid. I've watched her since she played at Tennessee. And I remember catching the ball and all of a sudden Candace is guarding me. And I'm like at the top of the key. Obviously, everybody knows like the the strength in my game is shooting and that's pretty much all I do in any of these games. And so I was like getting ready to shoot. I see her 
come out and guard me. And she's like, you better not shoot it. You better not like, don't even think about it. And I said, oh yeah, don't worry. I'm not. And like immediately pass the ball. And so I think, you know, when you're going up against, to be frank, a lot of the celebrities are not good at basketball. They're just not. Um, and so it's fine. The goal also in these celebrity games, and we talk about this literally in the locker room before we go out and play, like the goal of any celebrity game is no injuries. We're all old. We're all retired. We're all like, none of us are playing basketball regularly, or most of us are not playing basketball regularly. When I do play in these celebrity games, that's the one time a year that I play five on five. Otherwise I'm never playing five on five. We all go into these locker rooms and say no injuries. Like if nobody gets injured, that's a win for the game. Um, and so going up against some like rappers, actors, it's really, it's really not that intimidating and no one really plays defense. No one really plays that hard anyway, going up against Candace Parker. That's something like she will block your shot with ease. She will rip the ball from you with ease. And so that was somebody that I was so intimidated by. And also I respect so much as a basketball player that I'm like, yeah, yeah, yeah. don't worry, Candace. <laughs> like, not going anywhere. Um, there's also like one last thing about the celebrity game is there's so much ego in these games because you have a lot of people that are celebrities and celebrities themselves all pretty much think highly of themselves and there's celebrities on different levels also. So sometimes it's not always, um, you don't always have like these like warm, cool interactions with the people that you're playing with. Um, and other times you do. And I've had also this situation in like final four celebrity games that I've played in where, um, I remember playing with Ben Wallace actually, and he, (laughs) he was on our team and like midway through the game, pretty much rage quit, like got mad at us because he wasn't getting, he wasn't getting past the ball enough and he just left the game. And so it's like, you will run into that in certain situations as well. Like I thought it was funny because I guess he was taking it more serious than all of us where none of us were meaning to like not pass Ben Wallace the ball. Obviously we all have respect for him and who he was as an NBA player, but he legit like rage quit. And there's been multiple times in other celebrities that I'm not even going to name that have rage quit during the game because they were frustrated that they weren't playing well, or they weren't getting past the ball or the coach wasn't playing them enough. So there is like this ego that you kind of run into. And so it's, it's so much fun. And you just hope that a lot of the celebrities that you play with are just like cool, chill people. And we all go out there with the goal of like, let's have a good time. Let's not get hurt. But this, the people who go out there and like, I got to win MVP. I got to get the ball every time. Um, I got to prove myself. You guys got to respect me. Like you get that every once in a while. Um, so for those people, it sometimes doesn't always go their way if they, uh, aren't playing the way that they want to play. But 
that's pretty much all the tea that I have from NBA All-Star Weekend. If you guys have any more specific questions, please let me know in the comments below. I can definitely, I have tons of stories from my experiences at All-Star. So let me know in the comments below what else you would want to hear, any other secrets, any other things that you're wondering um, if you've never been All-Star. So definitely definitely let me know and maybe I will do a part two. All right, you guys, for halftime this week, we have some all-star trivia in honor of all-star being this week and specifically three-point all-star trivia, three-point contest all-star trivia. That is correct. All right, cool. Let's see it. Let's hear it. First question, who won the first ever NBA three-point contest? Oh my God. When was that? When was the first ever three-point contest? It was in the 70s. Larry Bird? Yes. It was? Yeah, Larry cool. Bird was the first ever one. Cool. Um, With yeah. his like very unconventional shooting form, but it works. <laughs> yeah. Um, th that's a hint into the next question. Who? And there's two guys that have won it three times. And that's the most, nobody's ever won it more than three times. Who are the two guys who have won it three times? There are two people that have won it three There's times. Two. Yeah. I don't think it's Steph Curry, right? Okay. Cause you would think Steph Curry, but I feel like he kind of um, chokes isn't the right word, but sometimes he just doesn't shoot well. Like it, It's like everybody watches him and you're just like, oh, he's just not, he's just not in rhythm. But it's you're never like, oh, he's a bad shooter now because he can't win a contest. Um, two guys who have won it three times. Reggie Miller? <laughs> nope. Okay, so I'm I'm calling out the best shooters first just to see. <laughs> it's I mean, not Clay Thompson a, either. I'll give you a hint. One, one of them we we already just talked about. <laughs> ben Wallace. No, I'm kidding. <laughs> 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 no, I'm kidding. Um one of them we just talked about. Yeah. In the oh, Larry Bird? Yeah. He won it three times? Yeah. Three well, I guess, times. okay, so maybe I need to think about it like that. Like, who was, what era was it to where the shooter was so ahead of their competition? Maybe that's how I need to think about it. Is it another older guy? It is, but honestly, I don't know if you're going to, it's a little bit more obscure. It's, it's Craig Hodges. I don't even know who that is. Craig Hodges. He, he was like a three-point shooter on the Bulls back in the day. You know who should have won it three times is Chris Mullen. Chris Mullen, I'm going to be so honest with you. I had a shoot with Chris Mullen, and I was very, very unfamiliar with his game when I went into the shoot. I knew he was an NBA player, but that was pretty much the extent of it. And I was doing this shoot with him, um, and we were the, – the whole premise of the shoot is that we were going to be doing – shooting games against one another. And I heard he was a good shooter, but like, I really didn't know he's a little bit before my time. When I tell you, I've never been so, I've never been so humbled in my life. And I have done shooting things with so many NBA players. Um, and I've been around like so many greats. I'm telling you this man at probably 50 something years old at this point still shoots lights out. I could not win a thing against him. And on top of that, talks. He, he's like a trash talker, even in these small little things. So even if I would get on a streak and I would start making, you know, uh, like 
seven out of 10 three-pointers. That was one of the competitions we did. How many out of 10 three-pointers can you make? And I made seven and I was like, you know what? I might win this. Like that was pretty darn good. You know what? He made nine. He made nine and he missed his first one, I think, and then turned it around and then trash talked me the entire time. So Chris Mullen is one of those like sneaky, sneaky shooters, like maybe one of the best shooters that I've ever been around ever. I was so, it was one of those moments where, you know, it's like, I'm so sorry, Chris, I was unfamiliar with your game. You know, that Shaq quote, that was absolutely it. Cause I did not know who the man was. And I was, I was humbled very quickly. I mean, to give, to give this guy, Craig, Craig Hodges, who was the other one who holds the most wins tied with yeah. her, to give him his, like his due, Flowers. he's, he's kind of let the correct, the three point contest, like goat, arguably I'm looking at. He holds the record for most shots made in one round, which is 21 out of 25. Cool. As well as most consecutive shots made, which is 19. So he went on a 19-shot streak during the contest at one point. Most appearances, which is eight. Most cool. made shots in a round, 21. Um, and most points, 25 out of a possible 30, I guess, back in those days. Um, so. Do you want to know a fun fact? Yeah. I've never lost a three-point, an official three-point competition. <laughs> nice. Three. I need to get the trophies for my mom. She has all my trophies in her basement. <laughs> There's I mean, a strategy cool. to three-point shooting competitions, though. It really is. What is the strategy? I think, firstly, unless they tell you different, you have to start on the side that you feel most comfortable. Mm-hmm. And so, like... If, if you were able to, like, it'd be cool if they did a three-point shooting competition where you could um, pick where you started. Mm-hmm. Because, the like, the whole thing about three-point competition is you have to get in rhythm quick. Like, that's what you have to do. And so you have to start. You can normally pick, like, which side you start. Pick what side that you feel most confident about, and most shooters will have that side. And it's mm-hmm. just all about adjusting really quickly and doing well under pressure, but I think it's just about adjusting really quickly. So it's almost like less about how good of a shooter you are in game and more about how quickly can you adjust your shot? Like how well do you know your own shot that if they're not falling, you know what you need to do to fix it? Who are the, there's two people who share the record for fewest points scored oh, in dang. the three-point contest. Yeah. Um, <laughs> if you name either one, you, you win this this question. Um, I'll give you a, one hint to say that one of them is like you've probably never heard of, and the other one you have absolutely heard of. The least amount of points. It, so one is from recent, I'm assuming then. Uh, not even that recent, but he's an extremely big name. Extremely big name. Shaq. No, I'm just kidding. <laughs> it's five, by the way. Five points. Wow. So it was like a terrible, terrible round. Yeah, so you either only made five shots or you had, like, two in a money ball. <laughs> yeah. I don't know where it's, to start. Um, it's, a, it's a really, really big name. Steph? No. Steph LeBron? Michael Bigger. Jordan? Michael Jordan. <laughs> what? Yep, Michael Jordan's tied for the worst three-point contest performance. Oh, the crazy? internet definitely buried that stat about him. Wow. <laughs> it was 1990. <laughs> I really? Guess, like, he just entered probably I mean 1990 Jordan he was like so awesome he probably just was like whatever I can win everything I can win this too and then he just didn't do well. Wow, that's crazy. Yeah. 
So Michael Jordan holds the record for the worst score in the NBA three-point shooting competition. Should that be entered into the GOAT debate when we're talking about GOATs? (laughs) Should that be something? LeBron's LeBron's too scared scared to do anything. Yeah, Yeah, LeBron won't do the dunk contest. He won't do (laughs) three-point. Yeah, so. so, Yeah. Um, Dang. There's a few more. Some of these are fun. Um, Okay. Who's the youngest player ever to win? Derrick Rose. (laughs) It's Kyrie Irving. He won it at the age of 20. Oh, really? Yep. See, some of these people, I forget that they were even in it. Yeah. Who's the first and only center to ever win it? How recent? Uh, this was in oh in 2022, so just a couple years ago. What all star was that? I think it was in Cleveland. Oh shoot, I was at that. You were there. Yeah. And then afterwards, <laughs> he tweeted, "I told you." I'm really. Once you say it, I'm gonna be mad. Who was it? It was Carl Anthony Towns. Oh, you know what? Because I don't think of him as a center. That's why. Yeah. Okay. I do remember that. Yeah. All right. That was that was the last one. Hmm. All right. Well, I was 0 for 7 on the three-point contest trivia. You got the Larry Bird. That was of. fun. Well, yeah, with, like, plenty of hints. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> and I got Michael Jordan with plenty of hints. No, I'm just kidding. Let's spill the tea presented by Mobby Tea. And today's topic of conversation is America's second favorite couple that has now headed to Splitsville, <laughs> Larsa Pippen and Marcus Jordan. Actually, my least favorite couple in the entire world. And I never rejoice for people's sorrows. I truly hope that both of them are doing okay. But this is one couple that just never sat right in my stomach ever, ever, ever. I thought everything about it was just so wrong, 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 that Scotty Pippen's ex-wife was dating and in a serious relationship with Michael Jordan's son, who is very, very, very much younger than she is. And again, like I've said before, age isn't that much of the issue. The problem is, is I just don't know how somebody betrays their ex-husband so vibrantly and then thinks it's okay to date their ex-husband's former teammate's son, who she could have possibly been around when this son was a child. However, fans are speculating that this couple has broken up because they have now both unfollowed each other on Instagram. And Larsa, being the very mature woman that she is, is is posting subliminal quotes on her Instagram to signal the breakup. So she posted, the man you choose to be your partner affects everything in your life, your mental health, your peace of mind, your love inside you, your happiness, how you get through tragedies, your successes, how your children will be raised, and much more. Choose wisely. And it's like a photo of a hand and a cup or something. And then on the flip side, um, Marcus Jordan posted an Instagram story of his dad dunking. (laughs) So (laughs) the great Michael Jordan dunking a basketball. I wanted to bring this up because Valentine's Day is here and there seems to be a sort of trend with couples breaking up before really big holidays. You see it all the time, like a couple breaks up before Christmas or before Thanksgiving. And Valentine's Day, I feel like is another one of those holidays that sends a lot of couples into 
splitting. I have my own feelings about Valentine's Day. I I feel like I cared about Valentine's Day a bit more when I was younger. It was one of those things like when you're in school, it's really fun to, you know, make the Valentine's Day cards and bring in the candy. But as I reflect on Valentine's Day when I was a kid and the things that we used to do in school, it was actually kind of messed up and kind of set up a lot of people to have negative feelings about Valentine's Day. One thing I remember specifically was at my school, you could buy roses for or anyone in the school. And it was kind of like an anonymous thing, unless you wanted to put your name on the rose. So there was, there's three levels of roses that you could buy for anyone. And you, it was just one single rose. It was a yellow rose that signified friendship. It was a pink rose that signified like a, a crush. And then it was a red rose to signal to, to symbolize like love or relationship. And it, it was so sad because I just remember that at one point during the day, whoever from the office would come in with these roses and would literally like have people's names on it and would pass them out to different people. And I think a rose was maybe like 50 cents or something. You could buy as many as you wanted. And you would just see like around the classroom, like what people were getting roses. And there were so many people who just never got anything on that day. And then there were some girls who would have like, you know, 10 roses on their desk from their secret admirers and friends and this and that. And it's like, actually makes me sad thinking about it because it was just that it was just such a public rejection to happen when you're like in middle school or in high school to like feel like, oh, all these people are getting love on this day except for me. I didn't receive any roses. Like I'm sitting there like, oh, maybe somebody will send me a rose and then nobody does. Like it's actually kind of sad when you think about it. And then I think like going into adulthood, Valentine's Day to me is just such a a showy like hallmark card holiday. Um, it, it just doesn't, it doesn't hold the kind of meaning that I feel like other holidays do. I personally prefer the holidays where nothing is expected, where it's more about family getting together and appreciating one another. And I, and I will say like, if you are in a relationship, you know, sharing a little signal or telling somebody happy Valentine's day or buying them flowers or whatever, it's something nice to do just to show that you love them and you're thinking of them. But at the same time, that should be something that you do daily. And I think for young couples, it's also, or couples who are just starting out, it's such a pressure point because you're in this place of like, what do we need to do? How important is Valentine's Day? Should I get them this gift? Should I make these extravagant plans? And then it's like almost like this pressure day that if you're not in this like stable relationship on this day, you don't know what to do. And it's like, oh, maybe if I don't care about this person that much at this specific day, then we should break up. There was a time when I was in high school when had like a boyfriend or whatever. It was actually my first Valentine's Day that I was like celebrating with somebody who was like my boyfriend at the time. At this specific time, I had like candy I was giving him. And I think this was like so cringe, but I think I made like a CD. You remember back in the 2000s when like early 2000s when we would make CDs for people that we like with like songs that we like or love songs or whatever. I think I did something like that. And then maybe a stuffed animal. There was something else. There was like three things that I was giving him. And throughout the whole day, one, he was ignoring me. 
And two, it did not give me anything the entire day. So by the end of the day, I was so frustrated and I literally gave away all of the gifts that I had given him. I was like, whatever, I'm keeping the CD. I gave all the candy away to my friends, like whatever, you guys can have it, this and that, this and that. And then tell me why when the school bell rings at the end of the day, he's like walking through the hall with like so many things like bear, flowers, balloons, literally balloons. And his parents had come to give him this. And and he basically said he wanted to give it to me at the end of the day because he didn't want me to have to like carry it around this and that. Why he was ignoring me, I don't know. But I had gotten so angry that I wasn't getting anything because of all the pressure and weight that I had put on Valentine's Day because this was such a big moment that I thought when I was like 14 years old. And I had given away everything that I wanted to give to him. And here he comes with all of these things for me. And then I felt terrible because I didn't give him anything. This is just a prime example. Maybe this is why I'm jaded about Valentine's Day or why I think it's just like a holiday that we maybe put too much pressure and expectations on where it shouldn't be. My ideal Valentine's Day is maybe just spending time with the person that I'm with, like going to dinner, enjoying something together that we both enjoy, but take the gifts out of it. You know, a little bouquet of flowers is enough. Just like take me to dinner and we can have a nice evening together. It's more about spending time with your loved ones and telling them that you care about them and, you know, doing nice gestures on days when they're not expecting it. Maybe the nice gestures don't always have to come only on holidays. Like do nice gestures on a random Wednesday, you know, bring home some flowers from the store on a random Wednesday because you were just thinking of this person or send them a nice note on a, you know, on just a regular, regular day, surprise them at work on a regular day. Don't always wait until these big holidays and then do some big performative act just to try to signal to this person that you really love them. Do it all year. I was also recently told every girl likes flowers. Yeah, of course. Every girl does like flowers. I don't think you can ever go wrong with with giving a girl flowers. You do. You, you will go wrong, though, if you give a girl who has cats lilies. Lilies can kill cats. They were very, very, very toxic to cats. So this is your PSA. If you're getting flowers for a girl and she has pet cats, no lilies, no tulips. No lilies, no tulips, very toxic to cats. Your relationship will not survive if you kill her cat, period. It won't, it won't survive. <laughs> so no lilies, no tulips. But I do want to know what you guys think as to why couples seemingly break up before these big holidays happen. Has this ever happened to you? Have you ever broke up with a significant other before a holiday because you felt like there was too much pressure? You just weren't that into it. Or do you have any horror stories from Valentine's Day kind of like I do? I mean, mine was less of a horror story, more of embarrassment because I let my own ego get in the way of everything else. But you guys definitely let me know in the comments how you feel about Valentine's Day, what you're doing this Valentine's Day, and if you have had any terrible Valentine's Day moments. Um, that's all I got for you guys today. I hope that you have a wonderful Valentine's Day and week, and we'll see you next time. Bye!